this past weekend um, through Tuesday, representatives of the United Methodist Church globally gathered in St. Louis, Missouri for a called general conference. If you don't know what a called general conference is, we have a fixed one every four years. And a called general conference is we have a special purpose. We want to get together. We've got to figure some things out. So they gathered 864 delegates from around the world. Now, unlike some reporting you'll read, they were not all clergy. They were half and half. Half lay people, just like you. Half clergy people, supposedly just like me. Um, and they gathered in that space. And they spent three days discerning. Uh, at least we'd like to believe they were discerning. And I will, uh, you know, they prayed a lot. They, they actually had an extra day. Saturday, the day before uh, General Conference began, they gathered in St. Louis for prayer. Uh, now, unfortunately, I've seen pictures of the floor of General Conference on the day of prayer. It was pretty empty. Uh, they were pretty full on Sunday, the day of meeting, Monday, the day of meeting, Tuesday, the day of meeting, but not so much on the whole prayer day, which, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe you can, you can pray anytime and anywhere you are. So we all know that. You don't have to be in this space to pray, and you didn't have to be in the Colosseum to pray or whatever. So they gathered, and uh, it came down really to two plans. One was the minority plan. It, there were five plans before them, and if you look at all the resolutions, there were something like, I don't know, 18 plans that were, could possibly have been before them. Three plans were originally proposed. Then there were two more plans that came forward. And anytime you've got to decide between five things, let's just be honest with each other, it's messy. It's just messy. So it came down to two plans. One was called the One Church Plan, and one was called the Traditional Plan. The One Church Plan said, in your context, you be you, as long as you proclaim the good news of Jesus. And the Traditional Plan said, we need to shore up and understand completely who we are. We have said since 1972 in the Book of Discipline that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching and doctrine, and we have to decide whether we're going to really enforce that or whether we're going to walk away from that. The One Church Plan said you can enforce it if you feel like that's what really God is saying, and you cannot enforce it if you don't. And every individual and every church and every pastor and every bishop and every conference can choose. The traditional plan said nobody can choose. And by the way, we want to make sure that there are some clear repercussions if you don't take this seriously. And the clear repercussions are if you're a clergy person and you perform a same-sex marriage as some of my sisters and brothers in other conferences and in this conference have done, you will be suspended for one year without pay the first time. And second time, we will take your orders. Um, if a church allows that, I don't know what the repercussions are. I guess it's how big you are and how much money you give them. Uh, that's not what it said. I'm sorry. That was snarky. I was supposed to be loving. I'm taking a step back, breathing again, being present. So in the end, we chose 
by a uh, margin of 53% to 47%, the one church, not the one church plan, the traditional plan. And, you know, before we chose, I put that video on the, on the website because I need you to know something, that you are loved. Whatever side of that issue you're on, if you think that what, the traditional plan is the best thing since sliced bread, we're going to love you. And if you believe that the one church plan should have passed, we're going to love you. We believe all people here at St. James. And as long as they let me have orders on my wall and I serve this congregation or any congregation anywhere, I welcome all people. And I know you do too. Everybody is welcome in this space because in the end it's about love. In the end it's about love. So what the fallout is, I don't know what the fallout will be because in all honesty this doesn't really go into effect immediately. They're still trying to figure out the constitutionality. 18 pieces of it were passed. And I'm not talking about United States constitutionality. The United Methodist Church has a constitution. We were formed at the same time the United States was. We have three branches of government. We have a legislative, executive, and judicial branch. And each one of them has to function. And you can amend the Constitution, but you have to do it by a two-thirds majority vote. And then two-thirds of the conferences have to ratify it. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? The U.S. Constitution, we modeled right after it. That's the United Methodist Church. So there are 18 things that are before the Judicial Council to figure out if they make sense. And they're not going to figure it out until April when they gather. Maybe it's May. In any case, so I don't know what ultimately is going to come of this. So, in the aftermath of that, I spent a lot of time with a lot of people. Uh, sometimes silently by myself, because as that decision was made, all of your faces, with a few exceptions. First time visitors, I'm, I, I didn't see your face. I'm sorry, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, but as your pastor, there are people who are here every week that I saw pass before my eyes. There are people who are here once a month, uh, as is the habit of uh, in this new world, because people are busy and involved. And I, I'm not judging you, but you know, I saw people who I see once in a while. I saw the people I only see at Christmas time. I saw the people I only see at Easter time, at both times. All of those people pass before my face. And then people I know who don't go to church, atheists and agnostic people, because I hang out with a lot of agnostic and atheist people. I know, crackheaded that I guy that I am. But I do that. And, uh, you know, I, I got to spend some time with them on Wednesday night. The very first one I walked in the door uh, looked at me and shook her head. She said, I'm really disappointed in your church, James. And I get to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, what, what do you want me to say? I'm sorry you feel that way. So the truth is this is a heavy decision. And in some ways it affects us all. And in some ways we get to choose how we're going to be the church at St. James. How we're going to live into the life out in the rest of the world. And who we really, really will welcome amongst ourselves. Okay, that's, you know, if you want more questions, I'm going to stay after church today. 
I, you know, I'm going to stay after worship today because church is you. I'm going to stay after worship today as long as you all have questions you are welcome to ask, and I will be glad to tell you what I know, which, you know, may surprise you how little it is, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, so I had a story that I was going to begin with today, and I'll begin with that story. 27 years ago, I was fortunate enough to marry this beautiful woman who I love dearly, Linda. And the first year was a real challenge because I am strong-willed. I know you won't believe that about me. You know, I know you think I'm just easygoing, whatever you say, I love you, no problem. Well, not if you're married to me. You know, uh, the rest of you can think whatever you want, say whatever you want. Say it to me, and I'll smile and nod. <laughs> but when you're living with somebody that you've married, and let's say they squeeze the toothpaste at the wrong end. <laughs> what wrong end, James? <laughs> what wrong end? Whichever end wasn't my end, that's the wrong end. Because that first year, sometimes even longer than that, and every time the question comes back up, every time you have an argument, every time that you struggle, is there love enough for us to stay together? Is there love enough to carry us through this ugliness? Are there enough loving memories to hold us together? And your first year, you don't have a lot of loving memories. I think that's why you have that, you know, those extra hormones that God has your body release so you can kind of overlook everything, you know. I don't care where you hang your clothes. I don't care that you leave piles on the floor. That had to be Linda, not me, because Linda does not leave piles anywhere, anywhere. And if she does, don't move it. Do not, under threat of death, move that. Poor Linda. She's running tech today. She can't even sit right here and give me special support, as she sometimes does. <laughs> She's trapped. She's trapped in the back. And in the end, we have to decide, as the church of God, is there love enough for us to stay together? Is there love enough for us to be God's people? in this world? Is there love enough for everyone? Or is it just for some? And who are those somebodies? Are they the people that look like us? The people that speak our language? The people that are United Methodist? If you can still call them United, 47 to 53%. I don't know. One thing I learned in that first year of marriage, before we get to the scripture text, one thing I learned in, in that first year of marriage, nobody wins an argument. Nobody ever wins an argument. You know, one last little observation I will make. At St. James, your leadership team is only made up of eight people, so, you know, this is a different world, but our eight, we, we don't vote and when we do vote, it has to be unanimous. If someone is holding out, we listen to that holdout because they might know the will of God better than the other seven. We listen. 
and we hold off making a decision because we feel like maybe, maybe they've got something. And that's the way we make a decision. But I want to share with you a text you've probably heard, and unfortunately, the place you mostly hear this text is at weddings. No, you know, that's Psalm 23. We should hear that more often, too. That's at funerals, March. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I have read that at more weddings, and I've done somewhere in the neighborhood at this point in my ministry. I've been under appointment for 31 years. So I think I've done somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 weddings. Some have taken, some have not. You know, uh, more and more of them are not. If you give them enough time, you know, it's a challenge. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, at, at more than I care to remember, um, we have read 1 Corinthians 13, particularly 4 through 7. But I want you to hear the words again from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. I'm noise. I'm noise. If I don't have love, I'm noise. No matter how beautiful my voice is, no matter how wonderful the singers sing, if they don't sing with the love of God, it's noise. If I speak beautiful words and they're spoken from hate, it's noise. If I have the gift of prophecy, and in the, in the Bible, just so you know, prophecy is preaching. It's not predicting the future. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries and everything else, I know everything. And if I have such great faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. All the big gifts, the ones everybody can see, the preaching. Who gets to stand up every week and talk to you all? Well, you know, important people apparently. You know, and you can begin to feel self-important. I can speak from personal experience. If you know all the mysteries, and if you know all the mysteries next week, you're preaching. No, James is preaching next week, but the next week you can preach. I'll be happy to step out if you know all the mysteries. Uh, maybe James knows all the mysteries. Maybe I'm going to step aside, start next week. But, uh, you know, and if you have such great faith that you can move mountains, even faith isn't enough. If you don't have love, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if I give away all that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Now, here's the part you'll be familiar with. Love is patient. It waits. It waits out the other person. It, it realizes it takes time. It takes time for people to come to see eye to eye and you'll wait each other out. Love is kind. Gentle with the other person. It isn't jealous. You know, if the other one looks better than you, great. If the other one doesn't, they feel the same way about you, great. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. I won. Look. I got the, you know, I got the 
doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. Assuming that I know everything and that I'm always right. It isn't rude. Now you see, if you listen to these words, and I'm going to continue, but if you listen to these words and you measure your love against them, you recognize you haven't quite gotten there yet. But let me tell you what. God already has. God is patient with you long before you're willing to even say yes. God is kind with you long before you ever learn to be kind to yourself, let alone to anybody else. God isn't jealous of your successes. If you really want to know, God may be the biggest failure in the universe. Came in person to tell us what it was all about, and we killed him. Killed him. Maybe you win by losing, I don't know. So we got to arrogant, it isn't rude, it doesn't demand its own way. I don't care which end, we, we don't use the same toothpaste anymore. I like the princess toothpaste. I really like the princess toothpaste. I like it when there's a picture of the prince, Disney princesses, and I like the wonderful bubblegum flavor that it comes in. And Linda likes Tom's natural. I like all those artificial colors. They make my life. I want to squeeze that pinkness out on my little cute little SpongeBob SquarePants tooth, you know, toothbrush, and I want to brush my teeth. So we don't even argue about who squeezes the tooth. Don't you touch my toothpaste. But you know, as long as you, I don't care where you squeeze it anymore. Love, it doesn't demand its own way. It isn't irritable. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it isn't irritable. Have you got love already? None of you are ever irritable, are you? Ever. About anything that ever happens. Okay, we haven't arrived. It doesn't keep a list of complaints. I think the first year of marriage is all about learning that lesson. And then for 27 cents, I have tried to learn that lesson again and again. I don't need to keep a list of the things Linda does that twerk me the wrong way in the right moment. You know, oh my gosh, did she put, why does she always put my clothes on my dresser after she's washed and neatly folded them? I can't find things when she does that. Well, Linda once told me the solution to that. I won't wash and fold your clothes for you anymore. I said, okay, I get that. All right, put them on the dresser. <laughs> it doesn't keep a list of complaints. Because you know what that does? It just builds up bitterness inside of us. It just builds up bitterness. It isn't happy with injustice. I'm so glad when bad things happen to other people. I love injustice. No, 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 no. That's not what it said. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. The truth is I don't know all the answers. I'm just going to err on the side of love as best I can. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if you didn't know this already, love never fails. Never. Not mostly doesn't fail like love never fails. So you can try hate out if you want to, but it never is going to drive out uh, hate. 
Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. said that, and he was quoting from the Dhammapada, which is the Dhammapada, which is the teachings of the Buddha. Well, going on from love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, speaking in tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part. See, we're always sure we know everything. We only know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, what is imperfect or incomplete pass away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. Now that I've become an adult, a man, I've put away childish things. I'm still working on it. I know the prince's toothpaste. I'm going to keep using that. It works for me. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Then we'll see face to face. Now I know partially, then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now, right now, faith, hope, and love remain. These three things. And the greatest of these is love. My friends, I believe love measures us. Not so we can say, oh, you don't measure up but so that love can continue. It is the measure of me as a person. If I can love even those who disagree with me in loud voice, even those who say ugly things to me in response to my love, if I can get to a place where, like Jesus, I can hang on a cross and look at those who put me there and say, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. And the truth is we know in part and we prophesy in part. We only know in part. But love really is the answer. What's love got to do with it? Everything. It's the only thing worth living for. Love with a capital L. Capital L for love. <laughs> Isn't that what that means? If you've ever watched Dodgeball, you know my reference there. But in any case, hell for love. So it's not. It means something else. You see, in love there aren't any winners and losers. In love there are only winners. What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like winners. And how do they win? By loving. And who do they love? Everybody. And let God sort it all out. Let God sort it all out. So, if you find yourself heartbroken over the decision of the United Methodist Church for the traditional plan, I love you. And in the same way, my soul is torn for you. And if you are vindicated that finally the church has become orthodox, I love you. I love you. 
And if you're somewhere in the middle and can't figure out why everybody's got to argue about all of this stuff, I love you. But more important than I love you, God loves you. God loves our broken sisters and brothers who feel excluded by this decision. God loves the very people who made the decision. God loves us all and would love it if we could just learn to love each other. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And the one that loves knows God and remains in God. And God loves them. If we don't know absolute unconditional love, then we don't know God. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, it's a lie. The loving God part. Hating your brother, I'm sure, is perfectly true for you. But uh, the love your God part is, is a lie. So I'm going to err with lying. Uh, with lying. I'm going to err with loving. <laughs> I'm probably going to err with lying too. Oh my gosh. But I, I felt like I couldn't face you all this morning unless I talked about how we're going to measure ministry at St. James. As a you know, local United Methodist Church, we are going to love. And that's all we're going to do. And if our ministry isn't loving, we're going to stop doing that thing that's not loving anymore. If feeding our neighbors is loving, we're going to keep doing it. If we're fixing people's houses is loving, we're going to do it. If uh, having a big yard sale in the neighborhood is unloving, we're not going to do it anymore. If the bounce house is dangerous, we're going to try it anyway because we love to bounce. <laughs> you know... Uh, as long as it's loving, it's loving, it's all about love. It's all about love. You see, I decided this week something important for me. I'm going to love more and I'm going to love better. I'm going to love you more and I'm going to love you better. And everyone I meet, everywhere I go, I'm going to love more and I'm going to love better. And when I mess up, I'm going to get back up and love more and love better. And that's all I've got. As a follower of Jesus in this life, in his way, I'm just going to do my best to love. And I want you to do your best to love, whatever that means for you. But remember, the measure is kind of 1 Corinthians 13, so read that again. Don't just be noise. Be love. It's not a mistake that the first line in St. Francis's prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Love. Sow it wherever you go this week. Because it comes back. Because you're